Welcome to episode 12 of the Raw Autos Podcast. I am your host, the creator of RawAutos.com, Josh Lewis, but you can call me Mr. Lewis. Perfectly fine. Episode 12. This is going to be, once again, all about me. Uh, I already did an episode that was meeting that was about meeting Raw Autos. Uh, that was last Friday, um, or last Wednesday, sorry. Uh, that was episode 8. Now for episode 12, four episodes later, we're going to be talking about me again. We're going to be talking about, or I'm going to be talking about, I don't know why I say we. We, I guess my multiple personalities. But I'm going to be talking about Raw Autos some more. Why? Because I can. And because you're listening. <laughs> Your fault, not mine. So, where do we leave off? Uh, we talked about... Um, I guess we left off last episode talking about that I was never afraid to meet people, never afraid to talk to people. Um, and I wasn't. So, interestingly enough, in my first ever auto show, I met a guy named Bob Long, who at the time was the host of um, Motor Trend Radio. Um, he had another show called Auto World Radio with Bob Long. He was a guy that had uh, terrestrial radio shows as well as a show on Sirius XM. And it was really cool to meet him because I'd listened to his show before. I really liked him. Um, and, you know, when I met him, he was interested in me as a younger guy, you know, like what, you know, what got you into this? You know, how did you get here? You know, <laughs> how do you know who I am? No, he didn't say that. But, uh, you know, he was, he was very, very kind to me. Uh, I was very gracious of, of his time. Uh, but he decided to ask me to be a guest on his auto world radio show. Um, about a week later after the LA auto show asked me to kind of rate and rank some things. And then he later asked me to be a guest on Motor Trend Radio uh, on Sirius XM, which was undoubtedly the, the coolest thing to be on Sirius XM uh, satellite radio to be a guest on, a, on a, a, a real radio show. And then after that radio show, Bob asked me if I would be willing to be his on-site producer for uh, various shows. So I went to SEMA, I went to CES, I went to uh, Detroit Auto Show, New York Auto Show, um, LA again with them. I went to all these major auto shows in the state or in the country with him, and uh, I was his on-site producer. I was the guy that basically... Uh, sometimes helped him book some guests, but most of the time I was just, uh, I was there in the moment helping to keep his schedule together, um, and helping to, uh, just, just keep people, you know, just keep people in the queue, so to speak, you know? And the, the one thing that Bob allowed me to do that he, it really didn't bother him was the fact that I could talk to anybody, um, uh, kind of warmed them up before they got on the show. Not that they really needed to be warmed up. Got, you know, Bob was a great, uh, radio guy still is always had a great voice. And, um, but he allowed me to meet so many people that started to kind of change the way I was seen before I was a young guy in the industry that nobody really knew just an unafraid personality or an unafraid person. 
And then I be- started to become a personality to these people because they saw me more often because of the radio show. Uh, automotive executives, CEOs, PR people. They took me more seriously because I wasn't just a, you know, some young kid. And my young kid, I was 23, 24, whatever, when I first started in, in this industry and started going to shows and, and meeting people and talking to people. And so they didn't just see that anymore. They saw an actual professional guy. I was in a, you know, a coat and tie. I was in, you know, nicer clothing. And I was setting them up to go onto a well-known, uh, pretty popular uh, car show, you know, radio show, real deal radio. And I've always loved radio because I'm a big Howard Stern fan. I've always thought radio is an excellent medium. Um, I mean, <laughs> that can be debated, obviously. Um, but I, I loved Howard Stern growing up. And so I always thought radio was just this, this mystical thing where you just, you would listen to these people. And, you know, when you're listening to radio, you think they're in a studio, you think they're the coolest person in the world and they matter so much. And sadly, radio is an interesting world where people just don't make a lot of money, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, backstabbing and there's a lot of, uh, just overturning of, 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 uh, of people, you know, um, and, and that's one of the things I learned you know, working for Bob was actually how to better prepare myself to talk to people, um, to be taken seriously, to be respected. And that was a, that was a really nice thing. Cause I'd, I'd go to these shows and I was, um, suddenly somebody that mattered a little bit more than I, than I was, you know, or that I mattered before. Um, and it felt nice, felt really cool being young and and actually cared about. I got into parties and events that I wouldn't have gotten into before, not without being on the radio. Uh, I remember I was out at um, I was at CES one year. We're out in Las Vegas. That's where CES is, and it really jaded me for I I can't. It, I have such a hard time going back to Las Vegas now because here I was. I was a guest, you know, of honor at a party for Hewlett Packard and then a party for a special party for Mercedes Benz and their future technology. And I remember I, I went to the, uh, this one event Bob was running behind and, uh, got to this Mercedes Benz event and here's, you know, journalists from road and track and, you know, other publications that are way more important than me. Right. And I just remember one of the Mercedes Benz PR people we were getting into this car to, to learn about some of their new technology and uh, they're like, here, you sit up front. You sit up front. You know, you're, you're, Bob's, you're Bob's producer. You got to sit up front. You know, I was being treated as somebody very important, uh, which was so, so weird to me at that time. I was a young guy and here was uh, older guys that I looked up to sitting behind me and, and people that I still look up to. And it was, it was very cool. It was, it was very, very awesome. Um, but it was all because I wasn't afraid. It was all because I... I I didn't want to turn back. I didn't want to come back home and feel like I didn't do enough or I didn't, you know, um, I didn't get what I wanted. And what I wanted was to be an automotive journalist. I wanted to, to review cars. I wanted to be in the industry because I cared. I love cars, genuinely love cars. 
I love this industry, you know, from top to bottom. Is there bullshit? Of course, just like any other industry there is. There's always going to be. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I still do. It's the greatest thing. I love the waiting game. You know, what's going to happen in a couple of years. I love analyzing the industry and guessing and playing these games. And I don't know. It feels, it feels really good. It's always cool. Um, but one more thing about that uh, Las Vegas trip. Uh, I don't know if you know who this guy is, but a guy named Funkmaster Flex, very famous uh, hip hop DJ out of New York, uh, had you know a show on Speed Channel back in the day, and uh, he and um, Snoop Dogg were showcasing their customized. Uh, I think I think they were both GT five hundreds um, uh, for Ford, and so I remember Funkmaster Flex came up. And he came up to our little, to our booth, our radio booth. And, uh, Bob was doing an interview and I didn't, I genuinely did not recognize him at first because I knew the name, but I wasn't as familiar with his face, how he looked. And so he walked up and, uh, I said, Hey, just want to let you know, Bob's on, on the radio right now. He's doing a, you know, recording a, a show and he goes, Oh, 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 I didn't mean to bother you. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say hi to Bob. I'm like, yeah, we'll be done, you know, in a few minutes. And, you know. And so he's like, uh, he's like, oh, okay, yeah. Are you Bob's new producer? I said, yeah, I'm Josh Lewis. Nice to meet you. He goes, hey, man, I'm Funkmaster Flex. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I was like, look, if you, you know, you're Funkmaster Flex. If you want to get up there, you can get up there, you know, on the on the mic if you want to and surprise him. And um, and uh, so later after that, uh, after Bob was done with his interview, uh, Bob came down and said, hey, hey, Flex, how you doing, man? Hey, hey, hey. So they start talking, and he said, hey, you know, you guys should drop by the booth, the, the uh, uh, Ford booth. Uh, Snoop Dogg's over there. And I was like, oh, cool, okay, yeah. So we stopped by, and and um, we, he introduces me to Snoop Dogg, and, you know, I tell him I'm a fan, you know, I love the music, and blah, 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 and he's like, oh, you know, thank you, and very nice, very gracious, and um, then... Uh, uh, Flex says, uh, hey, you know, I'm having a party later, a little private party, a little, little something. Why don't you guys come? You guys really seriously come to the party. Bob's like, ah, I don't know if I want to come to the party. And he's like, seriously, Bob, you got it. You got to come. You got to come. And so we all go to this party and it was, it was, it was so cool. Cause you know, you're at this little private event with like 40 people, uh, that Funkmaster Flex is throwing at the, at CES. And it's just for people that he just wants to hang out with. And that was, that was one thing that really jaded me as well is just like, here I am sitting with somebody that is d- pretty damn famous, you know, and somebody who's recognized in the industry of, you know, music. And I love music. I, I went to, uh, I went to college for, for music. Uh, I played music. I played guitar since I was 14. You know, I, I music is very, very big for me, uh, just as, as it is for a lot of people. Um, but I, was a musician and, and absolutely adored mainly blues music. But of course I liked hip hop. I liked jazz. I liked, uh, you know, of course, rock and roll and R and B and soul and stuff of like that. But yeah, so that was one of the things that really kind of, you, you get to do these things and, and the, the more, you know, into it you get, the more you just, you end up traveling for car with car companies because they pay for you to travel and they, you know, feed you amazing food, put you up in the best hotels and give you, you know, whatever, whatever alcohol you want, you know? Um, and it, it is nice. It's, it's amazing because it feels really good to, to be, uh, to feel respected, you know? 
but more so it's it is interesting that once you get farther and farther into it it's they know you have a job to do you know when you become friendly with pr people and executives they know you have a job to do and you know you, you know you know that they have a job to do so you spend a little less time absolutely trashing their cars for just the comedic value and instead give learn to give uh credible criticism you know actual critiques for what they can you know what should be changed or could be changed you know um you kind of learn to be a little bit more brand agnostic you know you like certain things about a brand uh but you more so like the cars the cars are more important you know and you know when I, I when I first became a uh, you know a motoring journalist or whatever you want to call me, I mean, I even have a hard time calling myself an automotive journalist because I, I really only say it because when I tell people I test cars, they have no idea what that means. Like you test cars, so like what do you do? Like do you work for a dealership? No, no, no. I car companies send me cars. They what? <laughs> so I just usually it's just easier if I say I'm an automotive journalist because then they say, oh, so you like test cars? Yes. But if I said I test cars, they'd be like, what does that mean? They wouldn't come up with automotive journalist, which is very weird. That's why I say I'm an automotive journalist. Um, it is not my favorite thing to say. Um, but I do like the way motoring journalist sounds. kind of rolls right off the tongue. Motoring journalist. doesn't really roll off the tongue. It rolls off the lips. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I spent a little bit of time as Bob's uh, on-site producer and then I left, uh, stopped doing that after a little while because I realized I kind of needed to focus a little bit more on raw autos. Um, and, you know, also around, uh, around the time of when I first started writing about cars before I actually became Bob's on-site producer, uh, I wrote for a website called bmwblog.com because I loved BMWs, right? I was a big BMW fan. I was, you know, in some ways a fanboy. Um, and, you know, I basically just wrote a lot of articles for that website. In fact, I wrote more articles for that website than I did for mine at the time. Um, and uh, wrote for the, the owner, uh, worked with him on different projects, um, did some different things, had a light falling out with them, and then just kind of moved on, you know, with Raw Autos. And, and uh, he and other people were telling me that Raw Autos needed to become... Uh, more specific uh, to something uh, instead of an all all encompassing website. Uh, I remember my dad told me that my dad loves GM cars and he told me that I should create a website. Raw Auto should just become all about Cadillacs because Cadillac made the best cars. I 100% disagreed with that at the time. This is, you know, 2008, 2009. No, not even. It was before that. It was like 2007 um, when he told me that. It was like 2007, 2008 when he told me that. And I thought it was crazy because that's when I first was starting Raw Autos. And and, uh, and then the Hiroshio, the, the guy who owns uh, BMW Blog, he um, he told me that it needed to be specific to, um, you know, like either German cars or performance cars or something. My buddy Tom told me a similar thing that you need to focus on high-end cars, like stop with, you know, don't take any cars lower than, you know, like $30,000, right? But I had this, I had this mission where I believed that it was the lower cars, the lower tier cars that were going to get me to the higher tier cars. You know, you get the, you get those for content, and then you jump up 
um, and you start getting more and more press cars that are of higher ilk, you know, and that's how, that's exactly how it works. Exactly how it happened. Uh, I started getting Kias and then uh, I started to get, well, before that, my first ever press car was actually, so there were two press cars that I had. Uh, one was a BMW X6 that I got because of working with or working for BMW blog at the time. But the agreement was that because where I lived in North Carolina, they weren't delivering a car there. So I had to fly up to New Jersey, pick it up and drive it back to North Carolina. And when I was done with it, I had to drive it back to New Jersey and then take a flight home. Uh, the only problem was I had literally just gotten back to North Carolina. Um, and two days later, a day or two later into my actual review of the car, um, my dog had to go to the hospital and she died six days later of cancer. Um, and of course, when this happened, I, I had, um, contacted BMW when I first took her and I said, Hey guys, you know, here's what's happening. My dog is, you know, literally on her deathbed. Um, you know, I don't know that I can bring the car up. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. And they were like, look, take your time, keep the car as long as you need to. Um, don't worry about it. You know, worry about your dog that we understand. And, uh, my dog died six days later. And then, um, that day, uh, she died at like seven, seven thirty in the morning. I was there with her. And, uh, and then I packed the X six, uh, packed a bag and drove to Maryland where I stayed the night and then drove from the following morning, drove from Maryland to New Jersey, dropped off the, the X six. And I was actually on my way to the airport. Uh, when I got a call from a, a PR friend of mine, Matt Russell, uh, Matt Russell worked for BMW was the former, uh, uh, PR guy for BMW and the former, um, um, uh, head of BMW M North America. And, uh, he called me because they had gotten a note that the, you know, that the car had been dropped off. And so he called me and was like, Hey, you know, whoa, 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 what happened to your dog? Why are you, you know, why are you here in New Jersey? And I told him, I said, yeah, she died yesterday morning. And of course he was extremely apologetic. I kept getting emails from BMW people like, I'm so sorry. And so that was really nice to hear, you know, or to know that, that, um, that a car company was, even though it was a dog, it was, it was, they knew it was special because everybody loves animals pretty much. If you don't, you're a heartless human being. And, uh, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. I flew back to North Carolina. So technically that was my first ever press car, but the actual first ever press car that was sent to me was a Mazda speed three, a Mazda Mazda speed three. Um, that was sent to me by a guy named Corey profit who is now PR for Toyota, who will actually be joining us on the show at some point soon. Uh, Corey is great. Um, his, uh, his partner Rod actually took over, uh, Rod actually took over the, uh, um, uh, Corey's position with the company that sent me cars, um, after Corey went, you know, into PR for car companies. And Corey's had a very interesting career in, in the automotive industry, really great person. And his husband, Rod is awesome as well. Uh, love both of them dearly. And, um, but yeah, Corey was one of the first people that truly 100% believed in me and believed that there was something to raw autos. Um, 
And to this day, Corey and I have a great relationship. When I actually got back into testing cars after like three years, uh, Corey was one of the first people that, that, uh, at Toyota that sent me cars, uh, you know, brought me to events and stuff like that. And it, it was, it was great because I remember he called me one day and he said, uh, Hey man, uh, you know, long time to talk, you know, good to see you back in the, in the automotive world. And then he invited me to an event. I'd only been, you know, reviewing cars again for about six months. And so it's, it's nice to be in a world where if you take it seriously enough, people do care and people want to see you succeed. Um, and also you just have to love the people. And I do love the people that, that I've worked around, that I've been around. And that's so much of what this podcast is, is, is talking to people that I genuinely enjoy the company of, uh, that I've been to events with and hung out with and partied with and, and just, you know, that I text with. And, and it's, it, it feels good um, because it's a world where if they always say, don't meet your heroes except in the automotive world, because honestly, every hero I've ever met has been so amazing. I mean, the first time I met Matt Farah, I mean, he stood there and talked to me for like 10, 15 minutes. And I told him, you know, who I was and what I did. And I got his cell phone number for God's sake. And, you know, he invited me to his birthday party a year later. And, and, you know, it feels nice. And, you know, you heard JF Musial on the show and, and JF and I have a, a history and, and, you know, all these people, when I, when I met, when I first met Mike Spinelli, the, the creator of Jalopnik, I, I was, God, I was starstruck. I followed that guy around like a puppy, basically trying to just suck every bit of knowledge out of his brain. And, and one of the, the key things he told me years ago when I first started was he said, I looked at raw autos and I, I you know, it, okay, it's nice, but who are you? are you raw autos is raw autos you or is raw autos raw autos and you're a different person like what are you trying to do is this your personality or you know what are you trying to accomplish and i was like oh shit yeah that makes sense i don't know and then matt farrah asked me what are you trying to do who are you you know what does raw autos mean to you and i just remember those two those two people asking me that question and i started like wow that's really Wow, that's that's heavy. And you start to think, you know. And then Matt Russell from BMW, uh, after years and years, he he uh, later moved to Cadillac, and now he's a consultant. And uh, he'll come on the show sometime soon too. Um, uh, we've already we've been talking about it, but he after when I was kind of like in a in that break in that three year period of not really doing anything, I'd kind of fallen out of love with it. Um, I loved cars, but one of the issues for me was that I was everything. I had to sell the advertising. I still do. I had to do the photography. I still do. I had to do the videography. Still do. I had to write all the words. Still do. But it was like sometimes when you're the only person in a room and you're doing it all, you kind of feel you, you get lost. You get disenfranchised. You feel like there's no love there. Nobody cares. <laughs> if I stopped writing today, nobody would care. You know, it wouldn't matter. Um, and it was actually guys like Matt Russell who still reached out to me going, hey, we miss you. You know, you, you got to get back in this. You know, you're, you're good. Like, stop it. Stop, stop, you know, feeling like you don't matter. You matter. And 
that's very important because I, I recently had a similar conversation with Matt uh, where I texted him and said, hey, I really want you to come on the podcast. And he's now a consultant and he's not working PR in terms of he's not working at a headquarters. He used to be at BMW's headquarters. And then he was at Cadillac's headquarters. And now he's not. He's at his home and he's working behind the scenes, you know, even more behind the scenes. And he's also the uh, uh, the rep for Alpina in North America. And he said, you know, you, you forget, you, you don't think you matter. You know, there's nobody there to, you're not working with anybody. And you don't think you matter. And so he was surprised that I asked him to be on the podcast. And so why would you be surprised? He said, well, I just don't think my voice, you know, just kind of taking the attitude he didn't think his voice mattered. And I said, no, like, and he, this is 100% true. He's genuinely one of my favorite people and one of my better friends in the industry. We don't talk to each other much and we don't see each other very often. But he's somebody that I've learned things from too. He's somebody that I've, I've, I've looked up to. Um, I remember (laughs) at any time at the BMW booth, you would talk to him about something. He said this to every journalist, anybody that ever wanted to talk about anything. Matt's always been extremely fair, and I, I love him for it. Um, I just remember people would always want to argue about different things that BMW did, you know, like, why'd you do this and not that, you know, that kind of thing. I remember he said, uh, he said to me once, and I've heard, it, I've heard him say it to other journalists, you know, look, I'm, I'm happy to have a debate, happy to have an argument. Um, but, you know, the minute you're not using facts or you're not using logic to argue, I'm just not interested. <laughs> And I've taken that to heart today when I debate somebody or, or have an argument with somebody when it's, it's no longer factual, when you're no longer committed to the facts or using the facts to, to develop an opinion or evolve your opinion, there's no point. There's no point in listening. I don't care anymore. You know, um, some people think I'm rude for taking that approach, but, but look, if, if you're not looking to evolve your opinion, I'm not interested in chatting with you. If you're sitting, you know, if your opinions are at the back of the bus and you haven't evolved, you know, to at least the middle of the bus, or you're not willing to to adapt, what what what? Why the hell should I listen? What's the what's the point anymore? I know that's a rude thing to think and say, but I just comes to a point where I just don't care just don't care. I've got better things I can do with my time than listen to, to a a 60 year old opinion that hasn't, you know, hasn't come forward. Now, the irony in that is that I love manual gearboxes. I don't look, I drive automatic cars for, for my work, you know, uh, for, uh, I drive automatic cars with, you know, my family's cars or whatever, but do I want to own one? No. Am I, do I get annoyed with people who buy automatic sports cars and dual clutch sports cars? Yes. Uh, do I think it's less cool? Yes. I think manuals are way cooler, way better. Uh, I'm a manual guy. That's just who I am. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not apologizing for it, actually, even though I said I'm sorry. I'm very Canadian. I'm not Canadian. But not apologizing for it. Not apologizing for enjoying the, you know what I like to drive. And I do have a major problem with these assholes and these other people who tell me that, well, and not all of them are assholes. I'm just saying there are some that are assholes. Um, Well, you know, the automatic is the way of the future. That's fine. A lot of things are the way of the future. 
But I guarantee you poke and prod into their lives. There are certain things that they're not interested in evolving on, you know? Um, how many of those people, if, if they're told that they have high cholesterol, how difficult is it, is it going to be for them to switch to egg whites instead of regular eggs? I love yolk, you know, how many of them, you know, are going to stop eating sugary foods because, well, it tastes good, but it's unhealthy. So there are things in all, in all of our lives that we, we would prefer over the other. Um, granted the examples that I gave you were life and death (laughs) versus manual and automatic. Uh, but for me, I just love a manual and I don't want any car company to tell me that I can't have it. If I'm willing to pay for it, if I'm willing to pay for it, shut up and give it to me. That's the way I feel, you know? Um, but I get it. There are R and D costs that cost money, you know, it's time it's effort, but yeah, I just want a manual. Uh, but so that's the thing is that, so that's part of the irony and even a little bit of hypocrisy that, that I don't want to listen to your old ass opinion on things. I love when people, uh, start telling me about how, oh, well, older cars are safer. Older cars are, are better because they're made out of steel. You could knock everything back into place. So, (laughs) That's just not the case. Obviously, we know that factually that that's just not true. You're not going to survive an accident in a 50s or 60s car compared to a 2010 or 2020 car. It's just not going to happen. Hell, you're not going to survive a crash in a 1970 car versus a 1990 car. It's just not going to happen. It's not how it works. Um, Safety has evolved. So, you know, it's... And I love classic cars. Don't get me wrong. Um... But me and my brother, we are looking at getting, um, we're looking at, we're looking at investing slash collecting a classic car of sorts because really it's just our excuse to just buy something to drive it, you know, but my dad, my dad is a, has been a classic car collector for years and basically selling all, has sold all of his classic cars except for one that he's, it's a resto mod that he has a 79 Trans Am. Uh, that he, with an LS motor that he wants to sell, he's going to sell it. Uh, so if you're interested in it or anybody's interested, you know, hit me up, Josh at rawautos.com. Um, but because he just realized he was driving one day and, and a guy came to a complete stop very, very quickly on a back road. My dad came to a complete stop and almost hit the guy and just, you know, dad was going a little bit faster. You know, he said he was about 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. And he said, you know, it would have been his fault completely, but he thought, you know, oh my God, here's no airbags, uh, no side airbags. The, the, the seatbelt retentioner, you know, retentioner barely worked. Um, and so it's, he's convincing my brother and I, Hey, go for something a little bit more modern that, you know, you're not going to lose money on, or you feel you're not going to lose money on over the next five years. So that's something my brother and I have kind of switched to talking about is, Hey, well, let's, you know, maybe invest in a, in a nineties or early two thousands M car or Porsche or, you know, something of that ilk. Um, maybe a Lotus Esprit, there you go. But yeah. Um, so just, just remember if you feel as though you're in a dead end situation, you're in a dead end job. And this is such a, (laughs) it's everybody I've talked to, uh, pretty much talked to a friend of mine, Derek, who's a, a motoring journalist out of Texas. Talked to him today. 
Uh, his podcast will go live on Monday. Of course, I don't have my damn calendar up when I'm talking about this. <laughs> I do this every time. Monday the 27th, his podcast will go live. Um, and he was in a dead-end job, a, a job he hated. I was in a job I didn't want to do. I was you know, in college, and, I, and then I, started, I dropped out of college, started selling cars. I didn't want to do that for my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I was unhappy. So I became a journalist, an automotive journalist. Johnny Lang, dead-end job he hated. You know, uh, JF Musial was in a job for the state uh, when he got recruited by Alex Roy to do what he does now. Um, and then, uh, hell, John, John Volker. Here's a guy who has an engineering degree and didn't spend the time for a company actually engineering anything. Instead, became an automotive journalist with that technology. With or technology, I mean, the knowledge. Jeez. Uh, and then John Perley Huffman, same thing. Dead-end job. Decided he wanted to write about cars. Uh, you know, it's it's a continual thing that we we go through in life is that we get depressed or we get annoyed, we get frustrated. And so when I came back into uh, doing raw autos again after, you know, basically like a three-year hiatus, I got multiple phone calls from people welcoming me back, saying that they missed me and that they were glad to have me back and that they liked my writing and they liked who I was and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that for me, the industry is not just about what can you do for me? Cause I've always told people, look, if it's a no, just tell me, no, I'm not bothered by it. I don't take offense to it. I heard no so much when I first started in, in this industry. Can I borrow this car? No, not interested in you borrowing a car. Can I get this? No. Can I get that? No. <laughs> can I come on this trip? No. So, but I was interested more so in the people and I still am. So just remember that if you are in a dead-end job and you want to write about cars, you want to talk about cars, there's nothing stopping you. This industry will welcome anybody um, with open arms. We love everybody. But you better come with a passion. You better come with an understanding that you've got to make it work, that you're going to make it work. Don't come into this thinking that you're the hottest shit because you're not. Everybody's, there's always somebody hotter than you. And if you're the rookie of the year, doesn't matter because there's a pro that's been there for 10 that matters way more than you. Just plain and simple. You know, don't get, don't get offended when you don't get a car. Don't get offended when you don't get a call back. Realize that it's, it's the business. It's the industry. It's how it is. These people don't hate you. You're just not going to make them money. And that's okay. That is perfectly fine. There are car companies that are not interested in lending me a car. And the reason why is because I'm not going to make them money. They believe that Raw Autos is not at the heart of the sales of their brand right now. That's fine. Porsche thought that too at one point for me. I remember a guy named Gary Fong. I'll have him on the podcast sometime soon. Gary was, uh, at the time, the PR guy in charge of the press fleet for Porsche. And I called Gary all the time. I remember he said, what is your demographics? I don't know. <laughs> I sent him some statistics and he said, look, I appreciate you want to get Porsches, but it's not your time yet. You're not ready. Raw Autos is not ready. Call me in six months. Okay. Caught him in six months. Almost there. Not quite ready yet. Call me in six months. So I did. And there came a point where I sent him some stats, sent him some statistics for Raw Autos, and he called me, called me around a few days before Christmas, actually. And he said, uh, he said, Hey, Merry Christmas. 
I have a surprise for you. Come the spring in April, you will be getting your first Porsche press car. And I was like, no way. What? And he's like, yeah. Merry Christmas. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I was so excited. I was elated. And you know what that first press car was? It was, of all things, it was a Porsche Panamera. It was the V6. (laughs) It was a V6 Panamera. And it was a 2012? 2000? Of course, I don't have 11. There you go. 2011. 2011. Sorry, I'm doing voices now. Uh, It was a 2011. I was a shitty photographer at the time. Uh, uh, it was terrible photos. And it was a long-ass review. But I, I reviewed it. And I said at the time that it was the smart man's luxury sports sedan. Or sport luxury sedan, I probably should have said. But the reason why I said that, I said that you would probably get fired for pulling up in uh, the, the parking garage of your business as a junior executive. Uh, because your boss who is driving a seven series or an S class thinks you have enough money or you make too much money to have a car similar to him when your car was actually like 30 grand less. And I'll tell you, I still feel the same way about the Panamera V6, actually a damn good car, damn good value. in in my opinion, and as a used car, damn good value. <laughs> but yeah, I remember, uh, Gary called me a couple days or maybe a week before I got that press car. And he said, uh, you know, it was this time five years ago that I gave autoblog.com their first Porsche. Little known website at the time. He said it was five years before that, around this time, that I gave the winding road. Not the winding road. <laughs> the winding road, sorry. Uh, winding Road Magazine which was an online magazine started by David E. Davis Jr. He said it was five years ago before that that I gave them their first Porsche. And he said, now's your time, kid. He said, don't don't screw it up and don't make me look stupid. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I couldn't have thanked him more for that. I still can't. I think, you know, he's very, very vital and important. Each Each one of these people has been vital and important. They've all been a pleasure to work with. And it's come this far and it feels good. Feels good that when I sent a couple emails and made a couple phone calls, hey, I'm back, and people welcome me with open arms. And so just remember if you're depressed, if life sucks, if you want to get into this world, you easily can. You absolutely can. Get into any world you want to. You just have to want to do it. You have to want to put in the effort. You have to give a shit about it. And I gave a shit about cars. I still do. I love it with all my heart and soul. And I remember when I took those three years off from raw autos. Oh, my God. I was depressed as hell because I, I missed it. I wanted it so badly, but I just, I was just tired. I was, I was burnt out. And now I'm, you know, I'm back. I'm fresh. Fresher than ever, sons of bitches. <laughs> I hope I hope you've enjoyed this twelfth episode. It's kind of a light episode. I apologize if you don't really like it or care, um, but yeah, just remember the Raw Autos podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, um, uh, what else? Spotify. You know, of course, visit rawautos.com 
And then uh, Raw Autos on YouTube, Raw Autos on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, yeah, we are so close. I know that nobody cares, but we are five downloads away as of right now. This is I am recording this at 11:50 on April 11:50 at night on April 23rd. Uh, the night before, I mean, 10 minutes before this is about to go live, because I'm going to edit this and push it out live to you guys. Uh, I usually put everything live between midnight and two o'clock in the morning, uh, the morning of, uh, but we have 495 downloads in 11 episodes and look, that's not a lot, but I love it. I'm excited. I'm excited that 495 people have listened and I'm excited when I've I've gotten some email, I've gotten some comments, some uh, you know messages and whatnot on Facebook and whatnot. People like the show, so I appreciate everybody liking it. I appreciate everybody listening to it. Uh, if you can review it, give me 500 stars on all of the apps. I know they only go up to five stars. It's fine. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share with everybody else, uh, whether they like cars or not. Um, yeah, share it with your grandmother, share it with your uh, tiny granddaughter or your grandson. Maybe not because of the language, sorry. But I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Again, Monday, another motoring journalist coming up. So just remember, Monday morning, put some of that good old-fashioned freeze-dried Folgers in your cup and turn on the Raw Podcast. And as always, happy motoring.